0: Well, we've been in a series of messages that we're calling You in Five Years. And we've been just really plowing through it and having so much fun. First week, we asked the question, who? Who, who do I want to be five years from now? And is that where I'm heading? Because if not, if that's not if where I'm heading is not where I want to be, then now is the time to make a change. Uh, the second week of the series, we asked the question, why? Why is it so difficult to change? And we found that the answer is inertia. Inertia is either our best friend or our worst enemy. And then last week, we asked the question, how? How are we going to change? And the answer was one step at a time. And what God wants us to do is not going to have visible progress always. Uh, We're going to be taking steps of obedience long before we see the effects of it paying off in our lives. And this week, we want to ask the question, when? When uh, are we going to find time in our lives to, to make these steps that are going to move us towards where we want to be? And so that's what we're going to talk about. If you have a Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 1 is where I'd like you to turn, uh, where we're going to have a message that uh, I'm calling From Evening to Morning, From Evening to Morning. Morning. That's, that's when uh, we're going to see our lives change, really, I think, uh, is, is, is in that period of time. There's lots of places we could have turned in scripture, though, to find these words popping up evening and morning. Uh, they're all over the Bible. I made a little list. And uh, you see them in, in fact, uh, the book of Exodus. This is when God was uh, choosing to feed his people in the wilderness miraculously. Uh, some of you may know there were donuts just falling from the sky. Uh, I mean, they used a different word in, in, the, in the old days. Uh, it was called manna. But it was, the, the Bible says they were made of bread and they tasted like honey. So what does that sound like to you? Krispy, Donut. cream, donuts <laughs> falling. But they also, uh, they also had uh, different uh, meat that, that came. But look, when, when did they eat? They ate in the evening, and then they ate in the morning. That's when they had the one, and that's when they had the other. Meat in the evening, and then donuts in the morning. Sounds about right (laughs) to me. Uh, Then we could also look at Psalm 90, where when the psalmist is describing how a whole life is like a day, a whole life is like a day, he said this, in the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it's cut down and withers kind of like one of those uh, kinds of plants that pops up quickly and then is gone just as fast. Um, When speaking about why we should diversify our portfolio and not put all of our eggs in one basket, uh, Ecclesiastes tells us this, that we should in the morning plant our seeds, in the evening keep our hands busy, because you don't know what will succeed. It may be the one or it may be the other, or my, both might do equally. Well, he's, he's saying, yeah, have your seed that you have sowed, But you, what are you going to do while you're waiting for it to grow? Use that time and figure out another business. Get a store on Etsy or, or, or whatever. <laughs> Start a Kickstarter and you know, find ways to, to, to make some, some money. Because uh, your, your, your field may not produce. And then what are you going to do? And plus, you have your days free. You know? What are you, you going to do, stand there watching your, your grain grow? We could talk about uh, the return of Christ. Hello. That's a good thing to talk about. Uh, because when is he going to come back? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but here, here's what he said. He said it could be, look at this, in the evening. Could be at midnight. Could be when the rooster crows. Could be at dawn, right? I love that he gave us all these options. Like, just, just here's what it could be. Jesus, when, when are you coming back? I'm going me tell you when. I are like, OK, got a pen. OK, great. Could be in the morning. Could be nighttime. Could be bedtime. They threw their pen away. Like, OK, I see what you did there. Look, very clever. Well played, right? Uh, I'm not going to go on, but 40 times in the Bible, the word evening and morning show up in the same verse. So it's, it's really a theme all over, all over the place. But my favorite is the first. Literally, the first like part of the Bible, the first chapter of the first part of the Bible is Genesis. And in chapter 1, verse 1, you can't go further back than this, guys. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So look at this, the evening and the morning were the first day. First time days pop up in the Bible, they're defined in scripture this way as an evening followed by a day. That's different than how we think about it. We actually think about it quite confusing because the day actually begins at 12 AM. But we think of a brand new day as really when we get out of bed in the morning. So we think of a day, a brand new day. Man, I've got a brand new day in front of me. Ah, coffee, a whole day in front of me. Well, technically, we've been in that day since midnight. But scripture's uh, picture of a day starts when the sun goes down. It starts when the sun goes down. And that's how the Jews reckoned time. They viewed it from sunset to sunset. That's the 24-hour period. It's the evening followed by the day. the evening followed by the day. The evening's the beginning of the day, yeah. then you have the whole day that follows. And here's where we're going. I want us to focus on a day. And if we think about a day in terms of 24 hours, I'll we'll give each uh, hour a line. OK So I'm going to Had to get creative at the end. Okay, so here's our 24-hour day. I want us to think about what what this is presenting for us, the idea of sunset triggering your day, which in the locations where we have church, and by the way, hello to every single location across Montana, Utah, Oregon, and Wyoming. Uh, Also, hello to Church Online, Fresh Life TV. So glad to have you with us. So in the area at this time of the year, 5.30 PM is on average when the sun is going down. And if we think about when it's, generally speaking, rising up, we're talking about around this time of day where we have the sun popping up. Okay, So 8 AM, 5.30 PM, what do we have in between? 14 and a half hours, Okay, So that's the chunk of time that I want us to really be focused on. Why? This is from evening to morning, from evening when the sun goes down to morning when the sun comes up. That is primarily, I believe, the win of your time to take the small steps that are going to change your life. This is the block of time that we should be fixated and focused on. Now, ironically speaking, we generally will talk about this as when we have a day. If your day begins here, you think about my brand new day, you know, by here you're starting to end the day. This is my day. We focus on our our day right here, right? 8 AM to 5.30 PM, this is our day. But the nine and a half hours that makes up the section that we think of as our day is the part of our day that we have the least control over. Most of us have things that we have to do during this period of time. Got to get Billy to soccer. Got to get you know the kids to school. Got to be at work. Gotta, I have to be in this meeting. This is when the doctor's appointment is. This is when the dentist appointment is. This is when the DMV is open. This is when the dry cleaner is open. This is when the florist is open. This is when the post office is open. This is when the UPS store is open. This is when I can register for TSA pre at the airport. When it's in, this is everything has to fit here. Life is craziest here. You, this here is messy and dirty and chaotic and 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 full of, of unpredictability, even on the best of circumstances. So we tend to focus on and to push things towards what we have the least control over, and we neglect the far superior period of our lives that is probably the most disproportionately powerful when it comes to actually affecting the life that you live. So what I think we should do is quit focusing on with apologies to Charles Spurgeon, who wrote the best-selling devotional of all time, from morning to evening, which is how we think about it, and rather flip it and start thinking about our life in terms of from evening to morning. These 14 and a half hours, I like to sometimes put my whole message into a neat and tidy sentence so that if you tune out or have narcolepsy that you'll still get the essence of what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say in this message is this. If you anchor your evenings and your mornings, then in the middle of the day, come what may, you've already had a great day. That's my message. Anchor your evening, have a killer evening, and have a killer morning. and. What happens in between those two? Focus on this, anchor it right here. And in this part, come what may, you've already had a terrific day. So you've had 14 and a half rocking hours. So if nine and, and you're going to give your best on the nine and a half, but if all goes sideways and you, you get dragged into another meeting and, and you're, you're thinking this doesn't really pertain to me or whatever, whatever else goes sideways, traffic and craziness and blah, 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 and Billy, I get it, but. You've already had a great day because you're anchored in the evenings and the mornings, so come what may. What I'm trying to say is it's really hard to have a bad day that starts and ends well. Possible, but really difficult to have a terrific evening, have a phenomenal morning and have that, at the end of the day, be a bad day. Two ways. This is is a two-point sermon, guys. Two ways to to live this out. Number one, it's real easy. Ready? Get sleep. Number one, get sleep. Number one, get sleep. No response, no reaction. Get sleep. I'm saying your job, your your first thing, your response in this is to get sleep. Okay? Um, Why is that so hard? Why is that so hard? Two words, his name is Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison is ruining your life, and Thomas Edison. And with that sassy look on his face, he's the most sinister looking Thomas Edison I could find. There are so many where he's jovial and old. No, I went with this one. I wanted mad scientist Thomas Jefferson. Why is Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Edison is what I meant to say, ruining your night's sleep? Here is why. It's in my pocket. It's an incandescent light bulb. The day was December 31st, the year was 1879. And for the very first time at a public setting, Thomas Edison flipped the switch on one of these bad boys, and the whole world found out what could happen when there was this unnatural light that could be commanded at the touch of a button. At the time before Thomas Edison gave us this, On average, on a weekday, your great-great-grandparents, 1879, were sleeping 10 hours per night. All across America, the average amount of sleep that people got in this block was 10 hours. Flash forward to present time, the average American, with the addition of the bulb, on average, on a weeknight, six hours and 51 minutes. We've gone from 10 hours of sleep to 6 hours and 51 minutes of sleep per night. That's not an improvement, in case you're wondering. Why? Because now we have lights that can sustain life and cause activities to take place whenever we want them to. I mean, you think about in those days when there wasn't um, incandescent light that you could, you could flip a switch and have it on, you could only do what you could power with, with, with candles. You could only do what you could power with lanterns. So you were much more limited in the activities you could do. Right. And when the sun went down, gasp, you went to bed. <laughs> when the sun went down, man, craziest thing. Let's eat, let's, let's talk for a while by the fire, and then let's go to sleep. Yeah. Let's, let's, just, let's just get crazy and go to sleep. But now we can prop ourselves up, and you can have lights on whenever you need to. And so we are getting less sleep because we have light, and of course, We could go further from Thomas Edison and talk about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, and now with the screens and the blue light that comes in and what that does to our sleep patterns and our body's ability to produce melatonin and all of that. We won't get into all of that, but suffice it to say, Edison as a picture of electricity, and what that has brought into our lives has diminished our ability to get good sleep. And that causes a raft of problems. Uh, like what? Like the fact that Sarah Medic, who is an associate professor of psychology at UCI uh, Riverside, uh, UC Riverside, she said this. She said, uh, things, look at it, I'll just read it off this. Studies have, conc- it's bigger than in my notes, studies have conclusively linked sleeplessness to ir- ir- irritability, anger, depression, and mental exhaustion. You could Google it yourself. But basically, at bottom of the deal is you don't eat well when you haven't slept well. You're not in a good mood when you haven't slept well. You don't have as much energy when you haven't slept well. And just everything kind of spirals out of control. This is the base that holds this all in place. And when you haven't gotten that good amount of sleep, you don't have that foundation going into the next bit. They say you're even more susceptible to sickness. Uh, A study was done where they grabbed two groups of people. um, And the way they got them into the groups was they had them each write down how much sleep they got every night for 14 days. And they all came back in and turned their numbers in. And what the people didn't know when they came back in was that they were being divided into two groups, the groups of people who were getting seven plus hours of sleep per night in that period, and those who were getting seven minus hours of sleep in that period. And while they were all reporting the numbers and talking, they didn't know this, but they were all being uh, exposed to the rhinovirus to a common cold. Common cold. Uh, Sounds so much worse when you say it like that. So they were all being exposed to the cold. And then they they tracked their their movements. They tracked them and get this. Would you believe that those who get seven plus hours of sleep were three times more likely to not come down with the cold that they were exposed to? And the group who got seven minus hours, many more of them were coming down with the sniffles after being exposed to it. And, And that's not the only impact. There's also an impairment that takes place when you don't sleep. Um, A man named Tom Rath in the Wall Street Journal uh, wrote an article uh, that that showed that if you get four hours less sleep, so whatever your your amount would be, if you get four hours less sleep for whatever reason, uh, before going to work or driving or doing whatever you're about to do, it has the exact same effect on your system as drinking an entire six pack of beer. Take four hours of sleep away and then show up at work, it's the exact same thing as if you chugged six beers before heading into the office. Now, would you like to get on a plane piloted by someone who has just finished their sixth beer before they fly you? Would you like to get into a car knowing that the other driver in a car beside you has just chugged their sixth beer? Would you like to go in for an operation and the anesthesiologist, before he puts your mask on, you watch him crack and throw away his sixth beer? Well, why on the world would you want people to have to be around you or dealing with you if you got that lack of sleep because you're impaired in your ability, and it goes on from there. More than that, so all-nighters or whatever else we would do because of burning the candle at both ends that would cause us to not sleep well, it has an effect on our body. What is the optimal amount of sleep? They say the amount is eight. That is the amount of sleep we should be shooting for. Though in study after study, top performers, meaning people who perform well, get on average eight hours and 36 minutes. So we would think, man, seven, I'm doing great. Or man, on an amazing night, I'm getting six. When we should just be thinking, high on the rest that we give to our body. So number one assignment, new day begins because the sun's gone down. Well, we think uh, about the fact that we're wanting to get asleep. So what do you do if you're starting to, uh, to prepare yourself? Well, you do all the things necessary that will move you towards it. You don't just think about, we set alarms when we should get up. We should be setting alarms when we should go to bed. And, and we should begin winding down and winding down our day because of the fact that caffeine, after a certain point, so if we're not thinking about when we let the caffeine f- back flush out of our system and when we're going to have you know, the stimulation. I mean, you can't be watching like UFC wrestling montage clips. You know, <laughs> it's not a thing. It's UFC fighting or wrestling. But watching clips of crazy sequences that are stimulating and, and, ha- and not expect those light that's bouncing off the back of your eye, going up to your brain and causing adrenaline to s- flood through your system, action movies Or whatever else, that then expect yourself just to lie. You're like, I have have trouble falling asleep at night. Really, that's weird. I can't imagine why. Right? We're doing the exact opposite of what we want our system to do. That's like having the windows down and the heater on in your car. It's like I'm cold and a little bit hot. That's my left shoulder mostly. (laughs) Yeah, because you're you're sending your body mixed messages. You're sending stimulation that says to it, be awake, be alert, be be ready to pounce at a moment's notice. Uh, But then you're also trying to get your body to quiet down. So you should think of a gradual ramp down towards where you're wanting to be falling asleep. So that's number one. This is a two-part message. Number one is get sleep. And the second is this. Then when you wake up, go deep. Get sleep. Go deep. Get sleep. Go deep. Deep in in what way? I actually thought about three different ways. Spiritually, physically, creatively. Spiritually, physically, creatively. We should get sleep, and then we should wake up ready to go deep. Uh, Spiritually is the most important, of course. Uh, Psalm 4610 says this, be still and know that I am God. Now maybe, just maybe, your Uh, go deep spiritually happens before you go to sleep. And that's awesome. Adam did it that way. God walked with Adam in the garden in the cool of the day. Kind of in that, actually, Adam's was over there. Okay, whatever, all right? Don't judge my journey. Sun started to go down or went all the way down. Getting messier here. We're having fun. Mad science is great. So, Adam would have his time with God in the cool of the day, maybe just as the sun went down and the cool air started to creep through the garden. That's when Adam went deep with God spiritually. But the point is that we're being still and knowing that He is God at some point and, and, and able to, to go deep in our relationship with him. But then we want to also be able to, to go deep physically, meaning we're, we're getting deep into our tissues as we build up our bodies, or run, or, or do something that's good for our bodies. Take a brisk walk, or do our single push-up, or, or whatever else it is that, if you want me to do them again today, I'm not doing them. I already got push-ups in today on my own time. And um, so, uh, but we want to go deep in our bodies. And uh, you're like, why? Why would that be such an emphasis? Uh, here's why. when you Uh, work out physically or do some sort of physical activity, it has the same effect on your body as taking a little bit of Prozac and a little bit of Ritalin. That's what they say, Prozac and Ritalin. Prozac helps your mood, Ritalin helps your focus. And uh, we're, we're living in a day where so many are looking to, to drugs to help their mood, to look, looking to drugs drugs are the focus. And, and I'm certainly not saying that if you need drugs to do any of those things, you know, as your doctor works with you in your life, that's, that's a problem. But what I'm saying is that many of us are looking to drugs to do what we actually could bring about in our own lives. We're the most overmedicated uh, generation that's ever lived, hands down. And to think about the fact that in exercise, we are given a natural mood altering, focus-enhancing thing that we can do for ourselves. Uh, now, I don't know if you, if you like to go to the gym at night or if you like to go to the gym in the morning, but I can actually make the case as to why you would be better off having that be in the morning. The effects of the Prozac and Ritalin type um, enhancing on your system only last for 12 hours. So if you work out in the evening, the biggest benefit is happening while you're not awake to actually appreciate it. So if early in the day you're finding some way to get your, your system going by working out, you have 12 hours of that. Ongoing, to use however you want. So we want to we want to go deep spiritually. We want to go deep physically, and we want to go deep in our creative endeavors. Why would we focus on creativity? Because I maybe just lost those who work in you know IT or accounting or engineering, and you're like, oh, great. It's the message for the arts. Actually, I would argue that uh, based on my reading of Genesis 1-1, God the creator created us. We then are his creation. And we were, listen to this, made in his image. Or to put it another way, we were created to be creative by a creator. And whatever we're called to do, we're called to do it creatively to creatively come up with IT solutions, to creatively come up with engineering solutions, to creatively create art and photography, to creatively parent, to creatively lead, to creatively approach politics or filmmaking or fashion or whatever line of work that God has us in. And you want to go deep in your creativity. And and I'm speaking specifically now about growing. I'm speaking specifically now about creating. I'm not even talking about 9 to 5, am I? 9 to 5 is it, I hope you're applying creativity in your 9 to 5 as well. But I'm talking in this after we've had, well, there's a space of time hopefully between 5.30 PM and when you start going to bed. But at some point here, you're going to get your sleep in. right? But then once we wake up, there's hopefully going to be a chunk of time here. And that's really key. So we're going to have some period of time when we get home from work. We'll talk about that in a second. Hopefully, we're guarding a space of time where we can get our eight hours, although they say there is 2% of the population whose studies have found can optim- uh, be optimized uh, with seven or less hours of sleep. So maybe you have that gene. Maybe God gave it to you. But the rest of us, we need our beauty sleep, and I'm in that crew right there. <laughs> right. So. So we got our sleep, but I'm talking about this. So we wake up, hopefully there's time we're carving out to go deep in our, our bodies, go deep in our spirits, but to also go deep in our advancing of whatever goal we have for five years from now. And I believe this is the best time to take your baby steps. This is the best time, if it's an online class or if it's a book you want to read, the five pages a day that's going to lead you to having read those you know, uh, 60 books between now and the years end, this is your space of time to attack the day. And uh, I find this to be uh, just the, the, the most uninterruptible time, or it should be, in our lives because the whole rest of the world isn't functioning yet. So you shouldn't expect the phone calls. You shouldn't expect all of those normal routine interruptions. So it should happen right there. I read a book that really uh, opened my eyes. The book's called Deep Work by Cal Newport, who is an associate professor at Georgetown uh, University. And he uh, talks uh, about how more than ever in our day, uh, people working deep is lacking, and people working deep is needed, because we're living in the age of multitasking where we're all doing a 1,000 things at one time. Uh, all of them, all of them, just all the things, all the things. Oh, I'm watching a show, reading a thing, doing this over here, all, all of it at the same time. In the book, he makes the case that true multitasking is a myth, that our brains can actually only do one thing at one time. And so what we would say is multitasking, he would say, is going from one thing to another quickly and poorly. Going from one thing to another quickly and poorly. I can prove to you, you don't actually multitask. Uh, what's the first thing you do when you realize you're lost while driving? The first thing you do? Turn off the music. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't mind it when you were just do- zoning out on, on, on driving. And a lot of times, we can actually drive on autopilot, so we actually can be appreciating the music because we know where we're going. Yeah. But the moment you realize, I don't know where I'm going, now you're actually wanting to drive, yeah. and so you want the music off because you you, you weren't actually multitasking. You were just listening to the music and driving on autopilot. Now I want it off so I can focus on on driving for a quick hot second. Um, So so he talks about uh, deep work, meaning where we actually bear down on one thing and give all of ourselves to it. Because what happens when you go from thing to thing to thing to thing is he calls in the book attention residue. He says they've actually can track in your brain how when you move from one task to another, there's tiny hooks your brain have, has that stay in the previous task. So you move on, but there's little hooks that are holding on to the last one. And the more things you open up, the more hooks from your brain are pulled in all these different directions. And every time you make a jump in what you're focusing on, you have less of yourself to give to it, because there's all these hooks that are tying you up. And there's much less of you that can go into this thing. And so what we need to do is focus on deep work, where we actually give ourselves in a serious way to one thing at a time. Alexander Graham Bell, uh, somebody who contributed to the world in a pretty profound way, found time to, to work deeply. And he explained how this is all possible this way. Concentrate all your thoughts upon the work at hand. The sun's rays do not burn until brought to a focus. Think of it. You can use the sun to create fire but only if you have something that can focus it. If you have a magnifying glass, you can turn the sun into fire. But it takes focus to get the flame. Yeah. I fear that so many of us, were uh, approaching, even when we try and do something, uh, the job of starting a fire, you, hoping the sun will do it, knowing the sun has the capability because it is a giant ball of fire itself, but just hoping it's going to spontaneously combust in front of us. Meanwhile, uh, we're not putting up the lens that will cause our attention to be focused on that for a period of time. So how, how do I do this? Um, and I wanted to get ultra specific here, just to kind of show you my notes a little bit on, on how I live this out. Number one, I make a plan. That's number one uh, under go deep. I make a plan, and it applies to, to getting sleep as well. What does that mean? Well, failing to plan is planning to fail. So I have a plan. When I wake up, my wake up ritual is 5.30 AM. And I know that 9 AM is when uh, the team that I work with is is at work. And so I know that's when the day really begins. So my 5.30 to to 9 AM is my period for deep work. And by the time 9 AM hits, I want to have gone deep spiritually, gone deep physically, and gone deep creatively before the day ever starts before the day ever begins. So writing books, uh, anything that I'm doing, learning about something, reading books, that's going to fit in here. And I'll throw a little bit reading at you in a second as well there, because that's how I wind down instead of watching shows on my best days. All of this is on the (laughs) ideal day. All of this, because my wife's in the room, is on the (laughs) ideal day. A uh, famous coach of, of UCLA, uh, Coach Wooden, uh, calls this a masterpiece day. I'm describing to you my masterpiece day, where I have a plan going into it. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was really good at the planning aspect. He would, he would obsessively plan out his day and, and regiment every minute. And the first thing they, they say he would do, his feet would hit the floor. Apparently, he would wake up, and his, according to his plan, he would ask this question, what good shall I do this day? That was his plan. What good, how much better would our lives get if we would wake up saying, what good <laughs> shall I do this day? So we make a plan. We talked last week about how we should be recording things, right? We should be ma- taking notes of our progress. Did we get our push-ups in, et cetera, the Seinfeld method, or whatever you would use. They say that simply measuring something improves it. Simply measuring something improves it. So even the act of recording it is going to improve it. So we make our plan, but then how do we find out whether we followed our plan? Here we go. We take notes. Simply measuring something, we automatically improve it. I've been reading a lot of history lately. I've been really interested uh, specifically in like the Civil War period and the Revolutionary War period. And I was watching and reading documentaries and books about the subject uh, pretty aggressively uh, lately on a kick. And one of the things that fascinated me was realizing how we have the history we have is because people took notes of their daily lives. People took notes of their daily lives. Otherwise, how do you get it? How do you get any of that history if there wasn't note taking uh, by uh, tedious detail at times, by average people. Like, when I was uh, looking into Abraham Lincoln's assassination and John Wilkes Booth and and all of that, I don't know if you realize this, Like it was normative in that day for people to write in their diary every day, every day. Uh, You think of the Dear Diary, oh, that's cute. What are you in sixth grade, right? Like, like, (laughs) no, no, it was like the thing, um, apparently. Uh, John Wilkes Booth. Wrote in his diary the day he killed Abraham Lincoln, after having broken his leg landing on the stage, jumping on a horse, r- riding through town, ending up hiding out in this barn. And p- what does he do? He, he's tuckered in, his bone sticking out of his leg. He, dear diary, right? And he r- literally entry in his diary that day about, well, oh, killed the president today. And now, of course, that's crazy, but, but. We only have the details we have of it because there were those who wrote down notes about it. I'm reading this book about the Revolutionary War and George, President George Washington and all this. And, 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 and it's just amazing how many times they're quoting people directly about that day's battle, telling exactly how it was. I, I brought a couple examples out of the out of book I was reading. Uh, this first one is an entry from General Henry Knox. Now, I didn't know about General Henry Knox. I didn't know he went several hundred miles to get cannons and brought them from Ticonderoga all the way to Dorchester Heights when uh, the British would eventually flee from Boston in a moment that gave great courage to the, the army. You know, no love for for, uh, for Henry Knox. Yeah, that guy's amazing. Um, anyhow, I, I didn't know that he was the one who came up with the plan and supervised the plan of generals, uh, of, of Commander George Washington's daring moment crossing the Delaware. That was all Henry Knox's play. He orchestrated it. The photo op is, of course, President Washington. It was Henry Knox's detailed operation, the boats and the planning. And then he supervised the artillery when they went into Trenton and took back that city. And it was, again, a decisive moment when we were losing morale and finally had an important victory. Anyhow, all of it he was writing down in his notes what was going on that day. Here's one page from General Henry Knox's journal. This is just him writing about the day. This is him writing about how it felt specifically uh, when he got to the top of of the the place where they were going to be with the guns and the cannons from Ticonderoga. And he's just writing about his day. Amazing. You're like, what's the point? That's the point right there. You're writing things down. Uh, Then this is uh, Lieutenant Jabez Fitch. I did not know about Lieutenant Jabez Fitch. Uh, He was actually taken as a prisoner of war. And the, the, the British general who was over the, the prison ship where Jabez was taken into custody was a man named British General James Grant. I have a picture of James Grant. This is actually a drawing. He was apparently notoriously fat and a really mean man who looked down his nose at the scoundrel American rebel uh, colonials. But in the picture I just showed you, uh, on this day, Jabez was writing about how that day, General Uh, Grant just had a momentary nice day and fed mutton to all of those in the prison ship where Jabez was staying. And so apparently, if we could go back, uh, Colonel Grant decided, look at the picture of him one more time, decided, I'm eating mutton for dinner for sure. I'm going to share some with (laughs) the prison. I just thought that was fascinating. And I'm so thankful that Jabez had the presence of mind to pull his diarrhea while on a prison ship where hundreds are dying of disease all around him and write about the fact that he was really grateful that he got to have mutton chops for dinner (laughs) on that particular day. So here's my question. If you're living history, which you are, If the God who made the heavens and the earth loves you and lives in you and is a part of working in your life and goes before you, and you're a part of the greatest thing that's ever happened, the advancing of the kingdom of God, the building of the local church, the changing of lives. And every day, whether you go to work as a banker, you show up as a soccer coach, or you're an assistant chemistry professor at a community college, that you have God inside of you wanting to blaze the light of Christ from your eyes and other people. If you're living history. Who's going to know what God did through you if you're not writing anything down? And I have found just great help from not only having a plan about what I want my my day to be like up here, but then after I live it, to come back around. And before I go to sleep, part of my uh, beginning to shut down ritual is pulling out a diary and taking some notes about that day. Wrote a 1,000 words for the new book. That's a small step. Doesn't the book have to be like, 50,000 by the time it's printed? Yeah, but I wrote 1,000 today, and I wrote 1,000 yesterday, and 1,000 yesterday, and 1,000 yesterday, and 1,000 yesterday, and 1,000 yesterday. How long you got? I got 18 days right now on my chain, and I'm excited about that. And so you you think about the fact that when I write that down, I get a smile, and I'm excited I get to write that down. I get to write down how to meeting about new campus location, how to meeting about small group situation, how to meeting, how to meeting, how to meeting, meeting. And that's all going to be in this block here. And I don't have as much control about that always. There are certain things that I don't want to do, but I got to do here. But I get to pick all of it right here. Yeah. And I get to choose all about right here. And one of the things that helps me is not just having a plan for the day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go deep spiritually, go deep physically, go deep creatively. But I'm also going to uh, take notes, or better myself, or learn something, or whatever it is right there. But I'm also going to take notes on it. And it also gives me pause before I do it, thinking about wanting to write it. Because I write down in my, in my, my journal if I've had um, not the day that I wanted to have. Didn't, didn't kill it here. Didn't crush it as a dad here. Didn't crush it as, as a husband here. Wasn't the boss that I want to be here. And it gives me pause living it when I think sometimes about having to write it. And it's a life-changing thing uh, to, to not only make a plan, uh, but also to, to, to write stuff down by taking notes. Here's another thing that helps me um, use time blocks. Or you can write down next to that just chunks, chunks of time. We think about a lot of things at the same time. We should be thinking about chunks of time. Um, sometimes it's two hours to, to write one of my writing goals in, in, in my time. But sometimes it happens in 45. But what I'll do is I'll give chunks of, of, of dedicated effort of usually an hour to whatever I'm doing. And when I think about blocks of time like that, I'm going to intensely focus on this for an hour. If I have to pee, I'm going to stay here. If I think about something I want to detect, I'm going to stay here. If I think about uh, something I want to tweet, I'm going to stay here. And so I have a chunk of time and I'm doing nothing but this. And the only way to guarantee you're going to think of seven things you need to do is to sit down and do only one thing. And the temptation is to flip from thing to thing to thing, hooking, 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 and then you can't move and you wonder why. But instead of saying, that's all I'm going to work on for 25 minutes, or 60 minutes, or 40 minutes, or or, or 30 minutes, chunks of time, blocks of time. I've read a lot of different time management books. And all the gurus say time blocks are the number one power tool of deep work and productivity. They're the number one power tool of deep work and productivity. They say your brain actually works in waves, waves that are 90 minutes long. And if you ride the wave of, of effort for something for 90 minutes, then you should give yourself a little break. And, and you should not use that break uh, to, to throw Netflix on or to go on Instagram. The best thing to do would be take a walk, quick blo- uh, blo- to lap around the block, or something you know, that, that's just uh, sort of a, a way to refresh yourself before you plunge in again and ride these waves. Uh, again, on my plan, it's this. Until I've checked off my three boxes of deep spiritually, deep physically, and deep creatively, I don't want to give my brain the dopamine hit of reading email or social media. Now, I don't always make make it through that. Sometimes I do it the other way around, and then I am sad. But (laughs) my goal is to use email and social media as candy for my brain. And once I've accomplished something that I set out to do, then I'll give myself, I literally will say, now you get a treat. I'm treating myself like a dog because that is the effect on your brain email and social media has. It's like a little piece of candy, and you'll want it again. And if I give it to myself without having done the trick as the dog that I am, then I'm going to just want the candy all day without having done something. So as a reward, I will open up email. And you're like, that's work, I know. It's work, but it's the bing, and it's the new emails, and do touching and shining things. They, they say it's, it's much like the, the slot machine arm, that, they, that it's got an addictive nature. So I save email, even if it's work email, as the reward for having accomplished. it. That's part of my plan. That's part of my time block strategy. Yeah. So There's a third. Uh, you should find ways here and here to be unaccessible. Unaccessible. Airplane mode, not near your phone, whatever it is. Now you're like, that gives me the creeps. That gives me the creeps because I got to be reachable. And of course, if you have kids that are doing something, there's, there's, there's exceptions to the rule. I think phone calls are a pretty good exception. You can turn data off, but still have phone calls on, emergencies and all that. But we have this, this need that's a relatively modern notion of constant accessibility being a huge priority. But let's back up. The Revolutionary War was won with what sort of correspondence? Mail. I've read George Washington's letters in the thick of battles writing Continental Congress for permission to do something. I want to to light New York City on fire when we leave. Can I? Just waiting for the mail to come back. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, time's of the essence. But he was writing a letter. And so we did okay, right? George Washington relied on that. And I thought about how the fact that we put a man on the moon without text messages or email. And just to think about this idea of constant accessibility being so important is a relatively modern thing. So, so choose to be unaccessible at times, and, and that will actually help you as well. Then here's a, a kind of final idea that's been helping me is the idea of uh, letting the sun go down on technology. Sundown on technology. So I have pockets of time for social media, pockets of time for email. But then when I get to this point here, the sun's going down on my day, I want to have a sunset technologically speaking, a digital sundown. In the book, uh, Deep Work, Cal Newport actually says he shuts his computer down and he turns his phone off after one last check. And then he actually says, shut down complete. Shut down complete. It's this little ritual he has. Shut down complete. That's done. Then he can go and be present with his family. Then you can actually go and and give yourself to the dinner and give yourself and be fully present for your wife or your husband, fully present for your kids that you've leaned into that kind of a sundown. And so when you've done all of this, this this great sleeping and this crushing it in the morning and you've got a, a, a wonderful evening that moves you towards going to sleep, come what may right here, you've already had a phenomenal day. You've already had a phenomenal day. And that will keep you from becoming crooked in the ways that life will take you otherwise. What did I say? I said that we got to have an anchor. We got to have an anchor for our lives. If we're anchored here, we're anchored here, then come what may, you've already had a great day. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we're grateful for the model you gave us in creation of the sun going down, new day beginning and Adam meeting with you and going to sleep and waking up to do all that you called him to do. And I pray that we would just take advantage of the time that we do have that we can control. It's easy to focus on what we can't do and the time we don't have. But I pray that we would all remember time is spent, not found. We'll never find time. We choose to spend time. We're all given the same 24 hours. And I pray that you'd give us the grace to spend it well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: What an incredible message. Thank you so much for joining us in this teaching from Fresh Life Church. If while you were watching you felt led to make a decision to follow Christ, congratulations. We'd love to send you a 21-day devotional through the book of John that Pastor Levi wrote. To receive that, send the word Fresh Life to 99,000, or you can register your decision online by clicking the button Know God, and we'd love to connect with you. If you've been impacted by what God is doing through Fresh Life Church, we'd love to hear from you. Click the Share Your Story tab on our site or email us at story at Share how God is using this work to impact your life. These stories are incredibly encouraging to both our staff and our church family. Finally, if you'd like to partner with us financially and support the things that God is doing in and through this house, you can text the word fresh to 45777, click the Give button at freshlife.church or give via the Fresh Life app. Thank you so much for watching.